Hello and welcome back to the What the Derf Show. My name is Freddie, alongside Noemi, who isn't here with me right now for the intro. And in this episode, we have a guest for you. His name is Paul Yanez. He's a very decorated individual. He's a former full-time police officer. He is currently a reserve police officer. He's a former president of the Police Officers Association, all in the city of Los Banos. He is currently running for mayor. And OBT Dubs, he's also the founder, CEO, and president of an organization called Knowledge Saves Lives. What is Knowledge Saves Lives? Well, I don't want to give away too much because I want you to listen to the episode. But in a nutshell, Knowledge Saves Lives is active shooter training programs that are spreading all across the state of California because of this guy right here. Very fun episode. Hope you enjoy it. We touch on religion. We touch on his faith. We touch on his experience in the police force. We touch on what his vision is as mayor. And then we really get into what Knowledge Saves Lives is, what it does, and what his vision is for it in the future. Hope you enjoy it. As always, if you can leave a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, five stars is appreciated. Let's let's just get into this thing. Really excited about it. Have a good day, guys. Because if it isn't good, then why have it, baby? Bye. Hey, dear listeners, I do want to let you know the different ways that you can support this podcast. First, you can just follow me or Noemi on Instagram. I'm whatthederf. Noemi is o.noemi3. On my Instagram profile, there's a link tree with a Venmo, my TikTok, even a P.O. box. So many different ways that you can support this podcast. If you can follow us and like us on all platforms, we'd really appreciate it. We thank you for the support, the donations thus far, and we look forward to the What the Derf Show future with you. Love you guys. Yeah, and if you're like me and you live in like hotels for a hundred days a year, that you like, oh, oh man, yeah, yeah, you're like, where's a salad when I need one? <laughs> yeah. Okay, first things first. Dutch Bros or Starbucks? I'm not a coffee guy. Oh, oh dang! I do not drink really? coffee. Really? What do you drink? drink? Wait, hold on, hold I told, on. I, I'm, I, I do the, oh, rock stars. Way too many of those. Oh, <laughs> I was gonna say, wait, you are. You were a cop, right? I am a still a reserve. Okay. Um, but I was full time here for almost thirteen years. So then you've just broken tradition of liking coffee. Or you've just shed some light. Not all cops drink coffee. I actually you know, the newer generation of cops, I don't know a lot of them that do drink coffee. They're all energy wow, drinkers. All so energy drinkers. Because coffee people. yes. I mean, coffee, you're enjoying, you're sitting there, you're drinking the hot coffee, energy drink is just go, 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 yeah. night shift, two hours of yeah. sleep, Red Bull. Yeah, and yeah. it's that, to me, it's, I don't know, I love the smell of coffee, I like my house to smell like coffee in the morning, yeah. but it's that yeah. whole hot liquid all the time thing, I'm just like. <laughs> Interesting. Iced. Um, if it gets past like 85 degrees outside, I'll switch to iced coffee, and then when it gets below, I'll go back to my hot coffee, but there's something so soothing to me about drinking a cup of coffee. I don't get the same thing from drinking iced coffee than I get from like the nice hot coffee in the morning, but I still, I enjoy it. And if I don't have it, I get cranky. (laughs) Okay. And then the next thing, because we've been arguing all week. How do you say your last name? Yanez. (gasps) Wait, did I, that's what I said, right? No, he said, he said, he said Yanez and I said, and I kind of laughed at him and he's, every time he says your last, now every time he says your last name, he's like kind of hesitates to say it because i made fun of him but 
Yeah, it's Yanis. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You see him on like I don't know five thousand signs, but the pronunciation's not on there. Right. So, yeah. yeah. It's Yanis. Yeah. So. I mean, at least I didn't say Lane. All right. So welcome back to the What the, what the Derf Show. Welcome we have back. we have Mr. Paul Yanez with us here yes. today. Um, Paul Yanez is. You know what? I'm just going to let him introduce himself. He's a former police uh, officer. He's a founder of something really cool, but I don't want to steal his thunder. He's just going to go ahead and take it away for the next couple minutes. Yeah, definitely no thunder. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm Paul Yanez. I'm the president and CEO of Knowledge Saves Lives. Um, I'm also a reserve police officer for the city of Los Banos, which is an unpaid uh, position. I don't get a dime to do that, which wow. my family thinks is crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so that's and I and I recently gave up my position as a police officer association president uh, to focus on the upcoming mayoral campaign. And then along with that, oh. that that's his that's his part time job because he's also a full time husband, full time dad, full time dad. Yes. How many? How, uh, what's home like life? How many kids do you have? All right, so I have three kids. My oldest is twenty four. Okay. My middle one is sixteen, and my youngest is eight. Wait, how old are you? Uh, I am forty three. No. Yes. Okay, the, ma- the math mean. for a 24-year-old makes sense, but I thought you were in your 30s. Yes. <laughs> and that's not me just, we'll just like keep you. That. Yeah, just keep, just keep, keep telling people that. We'll okay. say that he's 30. He's okay. 37. He's 39 and like four years change, five yeah. years change. That sounds good. Uh, how long have yeah. you been married? Uh, forever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, since 2005. And uh, are you, were you, are you born and uh, raised in Los Banos? No, I was born in Fresno. Okay. Um, I grew up actually in Fireball. Um, my dad uh, worked for the school district in Fireball for about 36 years, uh, but I went to high school in Dos Palos, um, and then that's kind of how I got into the Dos Palos, Los Manis area. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, I moved around a little bit, went to college, went to police academy, and the first job I got was for the Dos Palos Police Department. Okay. I worked there for less than four months, and uh, I was very proactive, and so I was putting people in jail who needed to go to jail. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Which we could when, use more of now when I, uh, yeah, yeah. When yeah. I found out that Los Banos police department had their own jail, I oh. got excited and I applied and I was hired five weeks later. So in Dos awesome. Palos, when you needed to put somebody in jail, you had to go to Merced. So yeah, Dos Palos being a very small town, typically one cop on duty. Wow. And that, it wow. was that way when I was there. Yeah. And so if you arrested somebody, somebody else had to transport them. Wow. Or somebody else had to cover the city. Oh, and my so gosh. so you were, yeah, it was, it so was kind of problematic. I, I, I have a question um, kind of regarding to that. So when, when Dos Palos only had one cop patrolling, did they have a police department, like an office or anything? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. did. Yeah, they had an agency. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I know Mendota doesn't, and I've never understood that. So, who takes care of the town? So there are cities that have what's called contract cities. Okay. And so I'll give you an example. Patterson's one of them. Oh, okay. um, it doesn't have to be a small town. Okay. Um, but basically, a decision was made for the city to be taken over by the county for public safety services. Got it. And so Mendota is actually policed by the Fresno County Sheriff's Office. Oh, uh, okay. So it's sheriffs in the, mm-hmm. in the town. I always wondered because I. I remember here, I don't know who told me, but I was like, what? That's crazy. I, I thought, well, they just don't have cops. Like, I, I'm confused. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, I always had that question in the back of my mind. Like, how are, how is that? I mean, that town is kind of crazy a little bit. But I mean, yeah, I assumed somebody took care of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you do any work with um, the uh, FDSA, the Fresno Deputy Sheriff's Association? I don't. You don't? No. I just randomly popped in my head because every year I go to a, a tournament 
and it has nothing to do with me supporting fallen officers, but that's what the tournament's for. And I'm not, I'm, I'm all for supporting the fallen officers and their family. Right. I heard on the radio seven years ago that there was a tournament in Fresno for golf mm-hmm. and I got in and I didn't know what FDA stood for, FDSA stood for. And then I get there and there's just lines of pictures of, of, you know, RIP officers. And I was like, dang, this is deep with a moment of silence yeah. and everything. And, um, who's the, the, the TV, the Fresno news girl that's there all the time. I don't know. I don't remember. The one you have a photo with? Yeah. I forget what her name is. What? But like newscasters go out there. It's like a big thing. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up getting grandfathered in and they don't advertise it anymore. So every year I get a text message in June. Are you guys participating again? Is that like the Kiki golf tournament? I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. There's one, a big one in Fresno and it's all the agencies that, that put it on together. Yeah, it's at the Eagle Springs Golf okay. Golf yeah, yeah. Course, and I've never That's even. It's pretty cool. It's really I, cool. I mean, I've never been. I I've just only heard it being described by Freddie, but it seems like a lot of fun. It's funny because they have a lot of stuff. You there. go there, and it's just it's all it's all cops, you know, and it's it's <laughs> you know like serious jobs, you know, yeah. and uh, you go around like, hey, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a sheriff, I'm a deputy, you know, I'm a police officer in Madera, but I'm supporting this. Well, I've met coroners. I met all, all kind. I met dispatchers, and then they're like, "What do you guys do?" We're like, "We work for an irrigation district." <laughs> You're like the only people that like, are. Why are you here? Don't do anything. <laughs> why are you here? So tell us about tell us about um, your faith. Uh, we're youth leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a youth leader of your daughter, mm-hmm. and I've seen you at our church. Wonderful kid, so, by the way. So She's a great kid. He's a part time. All the occupation that he listed. I mean, yep. it really is full time. But I'm just yep. saying that because a full time job is at home. Yep. And then yep. what about what about your faith? So I'm a very much a proud Christian. I grew up Christian. Um, I like to say that I've kind of experimented in some Christian faith churches. Um, yeah. When I was younger, we actually went to a Pentecostal church. Me and too. so for me, you know, people dancing and clapping in the aisles and, and, you know, and raising hands and all that stuff. I grew up, that was completely that was normal. normal. Yeah. Totally normal, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, then, and then, you know, I go to some churches in Fresno with family members and it's a little more, more low-key. There's not a yeah. drum set, you know, that right. kind of thing. And so I've kind of... I've kind of experienced, you know, a lot of that. And really, I mean, to me with, you know, my Christian faith and things like that is, you know, as long as I kind of stay true to what my beliefs are and what I'm doing, it doesn't really matter the building I go in, you know, that, that, that thing doesn't really matter to me, but it's the people that I get to meet and and have experiences with. So do you think your experience as a police officer, um, got you closer to God or or questioning more. So I can share a story with you uh, that your your listeners might appreciate. Yeah. Um, 2006, August 30th. Um, I don't leave the house that day, by the way. I'll just preface it by saying that. But no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> August, th- August 30th, 2006. Um, I had been off from work and I had just come back to work and I was working for um, the Merced Multi-Agency Narcotic Task Force. I was an undercover agent. Mm. And so I come back to work having Whoa. some time off um, I worked uh, undercover narcotics for five years. And so I had a it's really a cool soccer job. mom, by the way, Van, that I loved. Um, but we are, we do surveillance. And so we would watch, mm-hmm. like, let's say a drug dealer's house. So on this date, I'm in Merced. We're watching this drug dealer's house. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt, just watching a house. And as I look out in as what I'm watching, my boss uh, had just come from Fresno and he's wearing a suit and tie. Neither one of us are wearing like body armor or anything cool, right? No, you know, duty belts or none yeah. of that stuff. Right. We're sitting in each other's cars watching this house, and I see a guy come out of the house, and that's what we're supposed to watch for. And he gets in a car and leaves. 
And so our job is to kind of point stuff out and we're like, Hey, this guy's leaving. We don't know who he is, you know? And so he leaves. I don't think anything of it. A couple minutes later, I hear sirens and I'm like, what is going on right now? Right. And I'm thinking, okay, wait, it's Merced. Okay. That's normal. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I hear sirens and they're getting louder and louder. And when you work like undercover, like our police radios, they don't talk to everybody, right? I can't yeah. hear what the sheriff's department's doing. I can't hear oh, what other agencies makes are doing. Sense. I'm only yeah. listening to our team, right? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what's going on. And my boss is like, you hear all that? I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. Well, all of a sudden the guy that walked out a few minutes earlier now jumps a fence and starts running back to the house. And there's a little girl and she's bouncing a dodgeball in front of the house. Oh. And as he gets up to her, he pushes her in the side of the head because oh she's semi blocking the door. And, I'm talking you know, on the radio and I just went into like dad mode, right? Like how dare that guy do that? And so I get out of the car and oh, as I look, I see two uniformed Merced police officers jumping the fence oh and realize, Hey, they're chasing this guy. Yeah. So I go in the house, they go around the side thinking that, you know, he's running out the back and you guys know if you've ever been around kids and kids are watching TV if they're like my kids, if it's something they really like, like SpongeBob, you could probably burn the house down, right? It doesn't matter. As, as long as you don't mute the TV or block the TV, right? right. They're, not, they're not looking at anything but the they TV. They don't care. Yeah. yeah, they don't care. So as we go into this house, there's, uh, there's a woman and, and she's upset. But there's like four kids and TV's on and they're staring down a hallway. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he went down the hallway, right, if the kids are not paying attention. Right. Yeah. So my boss and I, and, and he's a Christian, we go barreling down this hallway, and, you know, we have our guns out, and we're looking for this guy. We get to the final room in this, in this little house, and there's a, a master bedroom. And as the door opens up, there's a closet behind it, and you can't open both, you know, at the same time. The yeah. door's kind of butt against you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so I lean against the closet, and my boss looks at me, and he's like, you and I should not be in here. We should let these uniform cops do their job. And neither one of us are wearing a vest. And for whatever reason, I felt like something touched my shoulder and go, get out. Wow. And I was like, okay. Oh, and my boss, chills. we look at each other. I go to walk out the hallway. A uniformed police officer passes me. And, you know, I'm a big guy, so I kind of have to turn sideways. As I turn sideways, I clear the corner and I look at the kids like, hey, kids, everything's fine. And I heard what sounded like two firecrackers go off. Yeah. And my mind, I'm like, who lit a firecracker off inside <laughs> this apartment? <laughs> I turn around in the closet I'm leaning against. The guy's hiding on the bottom of the floor, and he shoots the police officer in the chest. <gasps> as he has a vest. Who oh, has a vest on. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then it just went all bad from there. Wow. Right? Um, and he's fine. He, 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 they threw him in a car and took him to the hospital, and he was, he was fine. Wow. Um, bad guy, not so much. Um, he made a, he made a poor decision that day. Um, but yeah. I talked to, you know, my supervisor later and he goes, dude, did you feel like something in that room? Tell us we shouldn't be in there. And I was said, yeah. And he oh, was like, and you know, and, and him and I are both devout Christians, but you know, we never really talked about it much, but it was yeah. just one of those like, Hey, you felt that right. Yeah. I felt yeah. that too. That's crazy. Um, and so, well, here's, here's another thing too, is I was coming back to work because Mia was 12 days old. This was my first day back from, from family leave. Oh. Right. So, you know, those types of experiences, again, you know, and and whatever people's, you know, face are or whatever. I mean, I feel like I have a strong relationship with God and things like that happen in my life that I just go, hey, somebody's listening. Somebody's looking out for me, you know. Right. So when it comes to it's crazy because I can feel it like when it comes to what you're doing now, 
do you think do you do not even think do you just know this is where you're supposed to be like just oh absolutely absolutely i um i never thought that that knowledge saves lives would get as big as it is i really thought it was going to be a i don't want to say a hobby but it was going to be something that i would do on the side and you know i would try to we wanted it to be something that would help people you know not necessarily make money but just something that we would leave people in a better position than they started. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now because of, you know, and we started it prior to Newtown. So we started mm-hmm. doing this stuff before, you know, after Columbine, but before Newtown. Wow. Really, really before, you know, like the active shooter thing was really something we talked about. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of just, you know, grown and developed. And, and the instructors that I have now, I mean, they're absolutely amazing what they share with people. I just, um, we just had a guy um, we just hired and he um, just passed our academy. And we hired him. He was a narcotics agent, worked with the FBI, has an amazing resume. But that's not why we hired him. We hired him because he shares a story about he and his wife surviving the Boston Marathon bombing. Wow. Um, And what he experienced and how he felt and what he could share with people. Right. So it's it's those kind of people that that are part of our staff. They got to be able to give a testimony like, I've been in this situation and this is how... You know, we kind of got through it. That like makes a sense. Experience. So, well, uh, for the listeners, what sparked the interest for this meeting to happen was if if you've listened to the podcast podcast before, you know that in Fresno, Noemi and I were part were there when there was a shooting, and it was it was I mean, any shooting is intense, but it was just a little quarrel between probably two gangs, and I'm speculating right now. But what happened was when when we were stuck in that. I'd call it a little bit of a disarray of what's going on for about eight minutes. Ten, min- ten, ten minutes. Ten, fifteen minutes. No information, just people running away saying someone's shooting. Yeah. And I actually, I'm sorry to cut you no, off, okay. but I just had a, a, a couple questions because this is what you do for a living, basically. It is. It is yeah. um, you teach people what should you do, what should you not do. Mm-hmm. So my first instinct, we, we, we were exiting the store this mom and kids and the husband come running in screaming. We see people running and she tells us that there's a shooter. We automatically, because of the world we live in, active shooter, active shooter we're, we're going to die. My first no, instinct. we're going to die. <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what I thought. So my first instinct was run to the car. As long as you're in the car, you can leave and... Now, looking back, I'm like, I don't know if that would have been the best decision. So in your in your, you know, expert opinion, what do you think was best? Yeah. Should we have just left or should we have done what we did, which is stay? Because before you answer that, because we were stuck in Mm H&M and like she said, we have very few doors. I didn't like the area that we were in. In retrospect, we were fine. But at the same time, we were stuck in that store. Yeah. Not stuck. We could have left, but we weren't really sure what to do. And then, like I said, um, before we started recording, I was telling Paul that that night you kind of lay down and think like, okay, if it was an active shooter, do I really know what I to do? I still think about that. There's no, there's no, no instinct developed. There's yeah. no training developed. There's yeah. just fear, hectic scare media and panic panic there's a lot of panic so that's what sparked this this um this this podcast to happen so we've mentioned you mentioned knowledge saves lives Mm -hmm. um firstly 
Before you answer Noemi's question, what is Knowledge Saves Lives? So we are a statewide corporation, and what we do is we do a variety of emergency preparedness services. Um, our most popular service by far is our site-specific lockdown training, um, and that is active shooter response. We teach people what to do in emergencies. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be specific to their job. But when we can go to a work site or specifically a school, we mm -hmm. can create the curriculum so people have the best options and responses for what they face in that environment. Oh, and so we do that for, you know, churches and hospitals and all sorts of types of businesses. Do you guys do that for schools? We do that for more than 1,000 schools in okay, California. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know if it was you or maybe someone who looked like you. I used to work for the school district in Fireball. Have you ever do, done any we of that? We have the, done Fireball. Okay, so I think I went through your whole training. Okay. And I feel like I learned a lot. So the thing I told him was that I learned. And the only thing that really stuck stuck to me, other than the uh, fire extinguisher and hitting them mm -hmm. in the face, mm -hmm. um, which is intense, and I got to do it, was the best place really to be if there's an active shooter is to be in a bathroom that has heavy doors and you, you can lock from and has no windows or high windows because there's running water mm -hmm. and no one like in an office. An, yeah. An yeah. active shooter is not going to want to, you know, knock down any doors because they want to get as much as quickly as possible. So okay, that's so what so I, you're a veteran. You've so, done, right? <laughs> that's <laughs> right. what I got. That. Yeah. 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 Bad. So yeah. it must have been you then. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's how I, that's how I know. So you. to yeah. Noemi's question yes. in this, in the setting in Not Fresno, scenario. Okay. let's say it was worst case scenario mm -hmm. and this is an outside mall. Mm -hmm. Take us, take us what you would do there. And then, and then also what kind of training that uh, Knowledge Saves Lives offers? So the, the first thing I want to talk about is first how the brain works in an emergency. Okay. Because the brain works in a very specific way right. that we don't necessarily, you know, put pen to paper about, right? But after the fact, we always reassess, right? You right. always do an assessment and be like, did I do the right thing? Or yes. was that the right thing? And that's just how our brain works, okay? Um, but in the emergency itself the most successful people during these types of emergencies have a trained response. And so the most, the FBI does this big program called run, hide, fight. It is the national standard. It, it is a great, to me, it's a great standard because it is very teachable. And really it's the steps you would take, you know, can I run? Can I evacuate? Can I get away from whatever the threat is? Right. If that doesn't work, okay, can I hide? Now, when people hear the word hide, right, you think of like hide and seek, playing with your kids and that kind of thing, right? <laughs> but hide in law enforcement terms means you get behind cover, something that stops bullets, and concealment, you can't see me. That is what we discuss as hide. Okay? Right. And so if the first option is, hey, can I evacuate? Can I run? Can I get away from the threat? No. Okay, I'm going to go to the next thing, which is hide. Can I get behind something that stops bullets and where that person can't see me? And if the answer to that is no, that means that person's in very close proximity to you, right? Right. Yeah, right? I can't right. run. I can't hide. So yeah. at that point, you would fight. That is your last-ditch effort. I will do whatever I can to survive. Right. And, you know, and I, and I tell people, people have instinctively a survival instinct, but you probably never tested it. Yeah. Right? Which is a good thing, 
right? That means yeah. you live, you've lived in a position in your life that is amazing, right? Yes. You're like, well, no one's actually ever tried to kill me. Well, you, <laughs> you've had it good. Good for you, right? That's not funny, but yeah. it is. Yeah. Dang it. Um, but instinctively, um, you know, and people hear stories, right, of a, a mother who has a kid underneath the car and she lifts the car, right? You oh, hear, yeah, yeah, You hear yeah. those instinctive stories, right? Those are survival mode stories. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, doing this up and down the state for the last 12 years, we've heard amazing stories from people, how they've been in situations and they go, yeah, you know what? It sucks. I'm going to get hurt. But I push that little button in the back of my head and said, I'm going to go home no matter what. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Just so, straight survival mode. Right. And so those are the three, the three concepts we want people to understand. Again, it's not a checklist. Where we expand upon it and where anyone can expand upon it, and it's kind of cool that it's actually on my cup, um, is a concept called OODA loop. OODA loop stands for observe, orient, decide, and act. We didn't make it up. The Air Force actually made it up. Lieutenant Colonel Boyd, you can Google him. It's a great story. Um, he did a study on fighter pilots during war and how American fighter pilots were shooting down planes at a 10 to 1 ratio. And they wow. thought, oh, wow, we make way better airplanes than everybody. And that yeah. wasn't the case. Right. It was the fact that fighter pilots, American fighter pilots, had practiced more and in their head played mm. out, if this happens, I will do this. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I kind of compare it to if you've ever rode in the car, like when you're younger with your parents and they let you sit in the front seat and mom and dad hit the brakes, what happened? Right. You got the karate chop. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. You know, they instinctively put their, their hands out and you're like, yeah. well, I've never been right. in a crash with my parents. That's because driving, they instinctively think, okay, if I hit the brakes, I have to do this. Right. I have to yeah. protect my child. So that's the concept of what we want people to understand in an emergency is, okay, what's around me? Where's the problem? What can I do about the problem? And then make that decision and act on it. Mm. And so like whatever story you're in or wherever the situation is, if you just take a quick breath and say, all right, I'm in H&M. And I, and I heard you mention like, you know, there's only like one or two doors. Yeah. yeah. So there's two exits only. All well, glass windows. Oh, there's oh. two exits you know about. Have you ever been in the back of H&M? No. You ever seen where the workers take lunch breaks? You ever mm -mm. seen the stock room? Um, mm. All that is fair game in an emergency. Right. Yeah. You can, and I'll give you an example. Target. When they build Target stores, and they're pretty big buildings, right? Right. The fire code says they have to have between 10 and 12 exits. Exits. We only know of maybe two, right? Mm. Yeah. Where you get your, you know, go into the car. You go and in you and you come out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's actually 12 ways out oh, of that wow. building. We just don't think that oh. way. Yeah. Right? That's funny because when we were there, I was... Uh, I was checking the back door on the. It was an employee process. room, and it was locked. So he was telling the guy, he's like, "Do you have the key?" And the guy, honestly, I think he was a little panicked too. Sure. They were still folding clothes, yeah. but yeah. I think it was like almost like a "Let me do what makes me feel comfortable." That or there's shootings in Fresno every weekend. I don't know. Yeah, Pro which could be both. <laughs> right? Be both, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so he he just he wasn't really paying attention, and he was still kind of going around trying to get information, like, okay. Is it an active shooter or is, was it a fight and these guys got mad and, you know, did yeah, something stupid? Um, but the way that the H&M is, have you been to that H&M before? Park? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, by, okay. yeah. Because yeah, I know you have a, a daughter and a mm -hmm. wife. I'm sure you've been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were in the corner where the kids closes at. You know that corner that has no doors? Okay. And it's okay. just got the glass windows. And okay. I didn't like... I didn't feel safe because I'm like, if they come in through any of the doors, we're like sitting ducks, basically. If they is um, even there, if they was a thing. You know, that's like, what I'm saying. Yeah. In yeah. my head, if mm -hmm. someone were to come in, mm -hmm. I was like, there's no way. My brother-in-law had told me, had told me and my sister later 
and it's a little intense, but he said, well, if we would have kept hearing, that's what we were, we were very quiet because we were like, mm-hmm. are we going to hear more shots? Like what, yeah. you know, what's going on? We didn't. Mm-hmm. And he said, if I would have heard more, I would have thrown you guys on the ground mm-hmm. and put a whole bunch of clothes on top of you and just laid on it because they can kill me, but you're going to go home to the kids um, type of thing. And I'm okay. like, well, I don't know if that would have been the best thing, but maybe <laughs> okay. it would have worked. I don't know. But okay. um, so it would have been okay to run as long as it was clear. But so it, I'll tell you, movies do us all a huge disservice when it comes to shootings yeah. and emergencies. Okay. okay. Um, I know law enforcement officers, I know SWAT snipers, who if I told them, let's go to the range right now, and I want you to spell your name from 50 yards away in a paper plate, right? And if they practice enough, they could probably do it. Wow. Okay? They could, I mean, shoot in very small groups. Yeah. But if the wind is blowing and that paper plate moves half an inch, they might miss the plate completely. And so one thing, you know, as you're talking about, like, how stressful this was for you, your adrenaline is going... You experience things like tunnel vision, things yeah. that are really right. small. Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. Yes. The suspect is actually experiencing the same thing. Mm. And so think about fine motor skills. The guy, you know, couldn't find a key or whatever it is, right? How, how hard is it to get a key in a little tiny hole? Right. How difficult is it under stress when everything is getting smaller for someone to shoot a moving target in wow. a department store. I've never thought of it that way. Um, and that's why, that. you know, the FBI is really big on run is the first option. Yeah. yeah, hitting a moving target is extremely difficult. Yeah, no matter who, in any, in, in, right. in a calm condition. Exactly. So just imagine, right, right. a stressful people, condition. People are yelling and you also know, people are going shooter. in different directions, things right. like that. Yeah, um, you know, hit, hitting a moving target. Um, I mean, it's very difficult. And, and and honestly, I can compare that to the Route 91 in Las Vegas. Uh, one of our instructors was there. He was there and survived wow. the largest mass shooting in U.S. history. Wow. And when you talk about people were like still folding clothes or doing whatnot. People spend a large amount of time in that event actually arguing. Are those fireworks? It sounds like fireworks. Wow. Those could be fireworks. Wow. And people around them were severely injured, um, <gasps> bleeding, and they're still wow. debating. Just, just kind of oh under. Oh, my gosh. Right, because their brain is shutting down. They're just not. Yeah. Um, 9-11, you know, there's a, a biography that was written um, about the firefighters and things like that in 9-11. And one of the interesting things is a photographer took photos, and people outside of the building in 9-11 were covered in ash, and they began picking flowers. Wow. Because their brains had just shut down and said, look, we, we cannot handle everything that's happening right now. The stress level is way too high. Oh We're going to do gosh. something familiar, and our brain's just going to shut down. Wow. And that's normal. That's a normal reaction. It's almost I'm like getting, a defense mechanism or just such a state mm-hmm. of shock. I'm yeah. also, right now that you're speaking, I'm getting a flood of memories of the training that we had. And you guys showed us a lot of different videos that were not like acted videos. They were actual like footage from people who um, decided to go and shoot people, and one of them was there was like this this um, this big meeting. I don't know. It was like for a school board meeting. Yep, yep. I know exactly. What you're yes, about. Yeah. and this this guy he came in. His wife had recently gotten laid off, and he decided he had watched a lot of uh, V for Vendetta. Apparently. <laughs> Oh, because he had the mask, the the anonymous mask, or what? He just drew the A with the circle and stuff. And he shot, and there was people in the auditorium. He shot the main guy, I'm assuming is a superintendent. And people are slowly grabbing their things. Instead of running back, they're running towards the guy. And Or no, they, they left, but then this lady came back to get her purse. 
Wow. And then left. And I'm just like, why would you do that? Or like in a theater, instead of running the opposite way, you go because in your, when your brain is shutting off, you go the route that you took because that's what's familiar instead of that's danger. I'm not going anywhere near that type of thing. 85% of people actually do that. Yeah. To go, well, they go to towards familiar, the danger, familiar exit rather wow. than yeah. Then the, the, the mercy or the yeah. other exit. To uh-huh. go. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I saw something. A lot. <laughs> I saw it's crazy. I remember. I saw something, and then on the the website and on the Facebook posts, mm-hmm. um, and she mes- mes- mentioned it too. Something about a fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. Yes. So let's just say, like in a, a school setting, mm-hmm. and your resort is fight. You know, what are some of the options? Because you're more likely, more than likely, you're not armed unless that becomes more common. But what what are options to fight? So it's actually, it has nothing to do with a school setting. Um, In California, the International Fire Code and the State Fire Marshal dictate every less than 150 feet, there has to be a working inspected fire extinguisher. Okay. So when when we have, you know, fire guys on our staff, when we first heard that, we were like, okay, so there's something. Right. And our first instinct was, okay, they could use it as an impact weapon, a striking weapon. And then our team got together and they were like, well, has anyone ever sprayed anyone with a fire extinguisher? And we're like, well, there's only one way to find out. Um, And we did actually, we did 30 months of extensive research um, before we actually enacted that in our program. But what we found out is if you are sprayed in the face with a fire extinguisher from within anywhere from 10 to 15 feet, you can't see and you can't breathe. And they're, yes. you know, unlike, you know, MMA or anything like that, there's not a defense to it. Yes. Right? Because a lot of people will ask us about physical tactics. And I mean, and, you know, doing training that if I train you to do something for four hours, if you don't go home and become proficient at it, it's yeah. a waste of time. Yeah. Right? It's a perishable skill. Yes. So with a fire extinguisher, it's not. It's we have <laughs> to teach you the physical motions on how to spray. Yeah. And then transition. How to strike. take off the pin. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, and I know it's kind of, you know, for a lot of people that's tab- taboo, right? They go to work and they're like, Ooh, don't touch the fire extinguisher. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. You know, because yeah. um, it's that's just whatever. It's kinda, it's yeah. kinda, I want to say taught that way, but that's the culture. And so we tell people, look, in an emergency, all bets are off. All rules are off. Every part of that building is fair game. The yes. fire extinguisher is absolutely fair game. Um, you know, no one's going to come back later on from H&M and be like, oh, my gosh, you went in our storeroom. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and if they do, so what? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah right? who cares? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, you know, and so now we, we teach the fire. And again, we're not telling people, please go hunt a bad guy with a gun with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> yeah. But we're saying, hey, if I'm in a locked room or if I'm in a place that I absolutely can't get out of, I need to have some sort of resource with me. Wow. And so we physically, yeah. and we and we do, we bring a truckload of fire extinguishers to every training. Yep. It was um, so fun, too. And we, we put them in people's hands, and we let them, uh, we have an instructor, we call him Bob. Um, we let them smack Bob. <laughs> and so they physically learn how to do that. Yes. Wow. Yes. So the, basically what you do is you grab the fire extinguisher. So let's say it is a classroom setting. You get uh, all your kids. You make sure they like leave their phones. Over here. Dang. You, they have to leave their phones at their desk or wherever, because what happens is that kids will call their parents. Their parents are panicked and they want to start running, busting the doors open, and then potential more potential danger. So you put them against the wall. Let's say the door is right here. You put them against the wall behind you. You get the fire extinguisher, and if for some reason whoever is the, the active shooter is, comes in, you spray them, and as soon as it hits them, you grab it, and you hit them as hard as you can on their face wow. a couple times. That's what we did. 
and the training. That was fun. Which, if, <laughs> if you watch the, the Panama City School Board video you're talking about, that means you have this training is at least six or seven years ago for you. Yeah. Uh, yes, so, it yeah. was. So the yeah. fact you retained that six or seven years. Oh, later yeah, is she, cool. yeah. She remembers everything. <laughs> I remember. But the, uh, I mean, things. not only that, but then I guess the training must have been good too. It was a good training, and also I learned that whenever rescue does come, um, you got to make sure you keep your hands up and your head down. Um, you don't look at anybody. I think someone got yelled at, like, "Don't look at me," <laughs> um, because they're in there to do a job. You can't just run into their arms and just just hug them, and you're not going to be embraced. They need you to get out so that they can go in and sweep the area. Um, but that that part felt real for me, and I was so scared. I was like, ooh. Cause where, where was all this in H&M? <laughs> you know? Um, you just stood behind a coat rack. Well, I wanted to run. I wanted to get to the car. <laughs> that, was, yeah, that was the training. The and first the instinct whole, was to run. And if, if, I don't, know, run, I don't think you noticed because you were out getting – I was trying to find a, a different door to get out of. Mm. And I was like, okay, here it wouldn't work. Over there it wouldn't work. Um, my sister was more concerned about a little girl that was crying. She, I'm sure she was scared, but she was, she was the little like girl was. It, she too. was very distraught. Yeah, that could have been a shock for my sister too, where she had no, sure. she had no sense of, you know, she didn't see. And, and we see that as far as you know. And and the sad thing is, is with my job, um, we started out doing a lot of schools. And then we started seeing that, you know, our phone would ring and it would be, you know, Google X called us. Uh, one time. Yeah. And they said, hey, there was just a shooting at YouTube and now we're concerned. And so we started seeing like this, the people, the answers that people want are really site specific. You know, like we could what if everything, but, right. if, you know, and we don't want people to be paranoid. But when you go to a mall or you go to a restaurant, it takes 10 whole seconds to, and we call it, you know, feeling the temperature of the room. Yeah. You walk in anywhere, a restaurant, a bar, whatever it is. And any second you can feel like, mm, you know, this doesn't feel right. right. Or, you know, some could pop off that kind of thing, yeah. but you can look around and go, all right, if I had to get out of here right now, how would I do that? I mean, ever since everything's been on the news, it's even in like food courts, I even kind of scan the room or even in the movie theater. I've just started going through, going to the movie theater more now um, but when, when after the, the dark night shooting, uh, you kind of just, it was just uneasy for me just to sit there. Uh, what, you know, what's kind of funny is that I've always sat in the aisle of movie theaters. Yeah. Everybody's like, Oh, is that an active shooter thing? And I'm like, well, no, I always had Jack with me. who's my youngest and <laughs> oh, that so kid's got to pee every like five minutes. <laughs> so that's my situation awareness. Yeah. It's like yeah. at some point I'm gonna have to take this kid to the bathroom. So, yeah. yeah. um, or you don't want to be the last person to leave a theater anyway, right? Oh, I, I know, mean, right? It's all it, it, yeah, and wait for everybody to go. Re recently, I've been following um, the Parkland shooting mm -hmm. trial. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you've watched any of it. No. Um, but it's pretty disturbing. And I was thinking this morning, because um, I was watching one of them live, and they were reading off these comments that he had left on different YouTube videos of different school shootings. And they were like, oh, it, his comments were, you're going to see me in the news soon. The next one's going to be me. Oh, I love seeing the parents suffer. I love seeing the family suffering. And I was like, wow, like this is intense. It's, mm -hmm. it's evil and it's mm -hmm. awful. And there's a lot of comments like that from different people. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think like, okay, if we can't get people to stop, <laughs> which... 
I wish there was a way to make sure that never happens, but it's good to have information and knowledge Mm -hmm. on stuff like that because you just never know what can happen. And there's a lot of crazy people out there. You You know, and here's a sad reality. We actually could stop active shooter events from happening at schools. We could actually stop it tomorrow. Okay. And when I tell you how we can stop it, no one will do it. Okay. How? If the media would stop saying these people's names, if they would stop giving body counts, if they would stop giving them any sort of notoriety, I absolutely agree. The next shooter would not have a goal to aim for. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, one of the FBI statistics is to, you know, a loner, someone who has social anxiety, social issues, whatever it is. Right. And then they idolize somebody else who's done something horrific. And they, how are they able to idolize this person to begin with? Right. Because we can watch their trial. All the we information is out the there. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, I've spoken with one of the fathers from the Aurora, Colorado shooting. Yeah. And he actually, if you go to nonotoriety.com, he has an amazing video. He does a TED Talk. His son actually saved people's lives in that theater, and he was murdered. His son's name wow. was never said on the news. Wow. But yet, the suspect's name right. has over been blasted over and over and over. And, over. and we all know what the suspect looks like. For I can, sure. I can close my eyes and see his Absolutely. face. Absolutely. Absolutely. And That's so what does, that, what does that tell the next potential suspect is... Everybody's this is gonna how know I'm going to be infamous, yeah. right? Wow. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's you know, that's always been a, a challenge because our die. media, our media will probably never do that because and, then there wouldn't be a story, right? Right. right. That was going to be my next question too. Cause I was going to ask you, what do you think the answer is? Because what's intriguing about knowledge saves lives is that you get into conversations. I get into conversations. I'm from Dos Palos. You know, you got the left side, you got the right side, mostly right side in Dos Palos. And, you know, there's conversations, arm the teachers, and then and then there's, you know, ban guns. And then you have knowledge saves lives that said, okay, we're not going to get into this quarrel of what uh, gun laws and gun rights that we should have. Right. We're just going to say, hey, you know what? This is happening and arguing isn't arguing over it isn't really solving anything. So let's take action and we're going to be hands-on and train people because, I mean, unless the media... Right. Doesn't, right. I mean, stop showing it. Then this is, it, it's not the last. It's not the right. I mean, I mean, it's crazy that I have to say that or it, that's a truth that I'm saying was not the last. So something like knowledge, knowledge saves lives. It's, it's education. It's, it's preparation. It's, it's, it's trying to make it to, to almost, if, if it can get to the point where it's as instinctual as stop, drop and roll when you're on fire. Mm-hmm then that's a good place to be if it's a common knowledge yeah. everywhere. That That's what I think. Because yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten conversations with people just arguing over it. And it's like, okay, well, what are you doing about yeah. it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. There, There is one aspect of legislation we are very interested in um, that kind of goes with that. And, and I don't know how either side of politics feel about it. Um, but one of the things is we've done a ton, ton of research and studies, right, on, on how we do things. One of the things that we found that there's absolutely no evidence that it does any good is having kids participate in active shooter drills. Hmm. That is, if that's the one thing that I could stop tomorrow on top of the no notoriety, yes. I would. Um, yes. and, and the reason I say that is, you know, some of the drills that these kids have been in, right? I mean, they're traumatizing. They're terrifying. We're, we're creating yeah. a mental health issue on top of 
emergency preparedness. Yeah. Right. So it's counterproductive. Yes. Um, but there's been so many groups and studies that, I mean, they have just been flooding us with information. I absolutely love it. We've had, you know, uh, child psychologists from back East and, you know, people internationally that have shared information about why this is not a good idea. And we need to, you know, schools need to stop doing it. Um, we actually now have trained so many schools that school districts, uh, are changing their policies and saying, look, you're going to have training, once a year, you're going to do maybe your own drill in-house with the adults, but kids are not going to be prevalent to this. Yeah. And yeah. if you think about it in society, if you guys walked into a bank tomorrow and you're doing your banking business and you know with your kids or whatever, and a guy came in with a ski mask and a gun and was like, I'm robbing the bank, you'd be like, oh, my God. And then 30 seconds later, he's like, just kidding. It's a drill. We're doing a drill. You'd be like, I'm never banking here again, right? Right. Yeah. But we do that to our kids in school like yeah. twice a year. Right. Why do we do that? Right. Mm. Does that does that yeah. work? You know, yeah, um, That's, or, that is traumatizing. Yeah. Or, you know, schools in general that, you know, they do drills and I get it. They, they, they feel there's a need to do the drills. I understand. But it's to me, our education system is giving somebody a pop quiz without any of the curriculum first. Wow. How successful are people when you give them a pop quiz, right? They had, they've never studied, you know, the material. Right. And so that's why training is so important for us. Right. Yeah. Because you can assess later on if you did it right by being trained first. Right. Um, you know, and as a parent, like, um, I don't want my kids having to think about that stuff or relying on, I want, you know, yeah. when Mia was younger, I used to be like, Oh God, did she forget her shoes and clarinet and she's going out the door. <laughs> I don't want her thinking, do I have to do an active shooter drill today? You know? Right. Um, and there are ways though, however, that we can train with our kids and it actually doesn't appear as training. Uh, we came up with a concept and we use it for kindergarten through second grade. And what we do is you were talking about the hard corner earlier, right? Get the yes. kids in the corner. Yes. We will have teachers get a rug, get tape, whatever it is, and adapt that hard corner, identify it, and then tell their kids, hey, kids, we're going to play a game. It's called box of crayons. You're all going to line up shoulder to shoulder. Can you fit in my box of crayons over oh. there? Wow. And can you do it for a minute? And if you can, I'll reward you. It's a game. So when it is time for the teacher to say, you know what, I'm do some preparation or practice right you don't want that teacher screaming you know at the top of her lungs kids get in the corner or you might die because how productive is that going to work <laughs> yeah. out right yeah um but instead hey kids i need you to get in the in the corner we're going to play the crown game if right you create now. an instinct or a habit right that isn't detrimental right. to their yeah. mental health right then if you know crap does hit the fan i mean yeah that's already going to they're, they're probably going to struggle mentally after that but at yeah. least you're organized right. to the point where they can be instinctual right was, and we've seen schools across the state adapt to our programs and our hmm. resources and that's the kids awesome. are changing like dramatically changing wow yeah there was something that was said there was something that was said in the training that i that i had Did when i was the whole in the thing district. huh you want to teach the yeah. next seminar in fresno i'll, I'll teach we'll it. be back in fireball monday <laughs> <laughs> yeah sick. well we had we there was something that was said and it was i don't know who you you probably said it or maybe someone else said it. if you if you notice there's no kids here today it was only staff if you notice there's no kids here today and that's because a lot of the times it's students and you don't want to teach them the drills and the things that you're having these kids do for safety which is why you want mostly the teachers to know and the staff, all the rest of the staff to know so that we protect the kids. Yeah. The kids don't really know. But again, yeah, the average should. age of a school shooter is 14 and a half. Wow. Right. And it's really sad. of the suspects who have either been arrested or, you know, 
investigated for active shooter, 71% yeah. of them have had active shooter training. Yep. So they've actually participated in the drills themselves. Right. Oh. So they know they know what the precautions are going to be yeah, and right. which ones they're going to take and right. where they're going to be at, what they're going to do. Wow. Um, so it's counterproductive. Why would you train i never even thought of it that way that's like a thought that i even didn't even know i'd yeah that's that one blew my mind okay so so that's i've got like so much new information in my brain right now and uh that i've never never shared with you you've never shared with me especially (laughs) especially because we survived a a shooting together (laughs) but um another thing too and this is this is more for the local listener paul paul you you're running for mayor I am. Yeah. And, and he's going to submit his, what is it called? Uh, I'm filing my, my paperwork tomorrow with the county. Filing yeah. his paperwork tomorrow. That's tomorrow exciting. Day. Yep. And, and uh, the, the idea, how did this, how did this start? I mean, who, what was the motivation? What was the influence here? Sure. So being a longtime city employee, you know, you get used to a culture right? yeah. and how things work and maybe how they don't work. Yes. Um, and doing that for a long time, uh, I saw a lot of deficiencies here. And I saw uh, a lot of things that just bothered me, honestly, working here. And when I started my business and I decided to just go all in um, and I left, as I grew my own company, I realized it doesn't have to be that way. And so creating my own policies and working with a team of people and getting a structure in place of what leadership actually should look like. Yeah. Then I thought, wow, I could do this again, you know, and I could kind of share that again. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, being the police officer association president, I'm in charge to negotiate police officer salaries and their contracts. Okay. And you know, the, the discussions and conversations and negotiations that we had, and I wish I could, you know, go into detail, but I can't, um, it was extremely disappointing. You know, to hear a city say, we absolutely back our police and we absolutely back our fire. And then to say, um, yeah, you're not getting a raise and we don't care mm-hmm. how many of you leave. And, yeah. You know, it is wow. what it is. Yeah. You know, the, the reality of that was like, somebody's got to be able to change this. Um, but initially, you know, that was that was kind of my thought going into it. Um, I didn't necessarily decide to run just based on the deficiencies like as, you know, the police department. Um, because what I did is I kind of had an open dialogue with people. And the biggest issue that I heard was lack of transparency. You know, people don't know why decisions are made. They don't hear any feedback. They can't get a hold of anyone. Mm. Um, and really kind of, it was just the lack of leadership overall. And that's what kind of pushed me was, okay. You know, I, I left the city, I saw where it was and, you know, I saw how people were in a hurry to get out of it. Um, and so how can we change that culture? And then when I went to, you know, knowledge saves lives, I realized, wow, you can actually change a lot um, starting at the top. And you can actually make people enjoy coming to work and enjoy being productive and being yeah. part of something, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and again, for the citizens, you know, I'm a taxpayer. My tax money goes here. And so when I hear the city hires all these consultants to think for them and make decisions for them, I'm like, yeah. why? Why aren't we reinvesting in our own people and teaching them to make our decisions? Yeah. Right. And so that kind of what it's what pushed me to do it. And I ran, you know, in 2020. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, super weird first time ever in politics. And then COVID happens like that's a great idea. <laughs> um, so I couldn't do a lot of the normal, I guess, campaigning, you know, going and meeting a lot right. of people in person. And yeah. And, you know, that must have been weird. Too. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and again, I'm not I don't know. I was being so new to politics. You know, my only goal was to just hear everyone. Yeah. I wanted to hear as what it, many people thought 
they want Las Banas to be. Yeah. And so I think I did a pretty good job of kind of listening to everybody. Um, I mean, I fell short, obviously, right? I tell mm-hmm. people I lost by a cul-de-sac. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and I'm honestly, I'm okay with that because yeah. it was a learning experience for me. Yeah. Um, but a lot has happened in the, these, you know, past two years and they haven't been positive. Right. And so, right. you know, my, my idea was, okay, I lost the election, you know, Tom Free is our mayor and I'm going to do everything I can to support him. Um, and I hope he's successful because if he is, then right, I don't have to have 10 jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can focus on what I'm doing. Yes. Right. Um, yes. But, you know, we don't have a fire chief. We don't have an assistant fire chief. We don't have a finance director. Uh, what, three city managers in 10 months? Wow. Um, yeah. You know, how many police officers have left? I don't know, nine or 10 in, in recently. Wow. Yeah. So I look at all that. In a growing city, too. This is like, there's so many people here now. Oh, to- yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and also, sure. I looked at social media and how many people come here and have questions that aren't getting answers. Okay. You know, right. like, hey, where do I go do this? Or how do I sign my kid up for this? Or mm. how's this? And there's a lot of, you know, city functions and city type things that don't get answered for people. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, that uh, there have been, you know, a lot of other things that um, working all over the state, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I've met so many amazing people that have amazing ideas. And I've been to other cities and I've seen what works. And there's no reason we can't bring that stuff here. Um, like looking at the homeless. That is a huge priority for me. The yeah. Homeless. Yeah. But it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science what we need to do, yeah. you know, to, to effectively have an impact. Um, putting them by a trailer, you know, the, the, the trailer park over there and putting them kind of out of sight, out of mind and having it to be, you know, a very small population of our citizens problem is not fair. It's not, yeah. it's yeah. not the right it's way. It's really sad. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's what, you know, inspired me to do it again. I, I I know that my brain probably thinks a lot differently than a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I I think really I focus on like su- success in general. You have to be uncomfortable to get ahead. Mm. So if you do the same thing every single day, right? We get in that norm. You're going to be in that norm, and you know what that line is. Yeah. But if you say, you know what, I've never done that. I'm going to do it, right? Um. I, I and I tell my kids this all the time: is don't have a backup plan. Mm. Right. And I know a lot of parents are like, wait, what did he say? <laughs> I tell them, don't have a backup plan. Go all in. Because if at some point in your brain you say, no, you know what? If this doesn't work out, I'll do this. You've already set yourself up to fail. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of been my mindset. I mean, I was really fortunate with Knowledge Saves Lives. Um, I tell people the story that I started the company with three hundred and forty dollars. I started with three hundred and forty dollars. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. My employees now like buy houses which is so awesome. That's awesome. And yeah. you know, we have a retirement plan. We have a full health wow. coverage, right? In the wow. company. How many years have you had this? 12 years wow. um, that we've had the company. Um, but I've been, only, I've been full-time for seven. Um, and I was really blessed. My wife, awesome. I mean, she's supported me through everything. And 2015, Shout I told to her that <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to pull the pin on this cop thing and I'm going to go all in. And, you know, being a long-term, you know, city employee, uh, we have tiers of retirement. I had the best tier of retirement, right? And so people were like, you're crazy. What are you thinking, right? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I used to think, oh, gosh, I don't know how much money I'm going to make next month, right? Yeah. Right, and yeah. now I sit in, you know, a few different offices in the state, and I go, you know what's cool? I don't know how much money I'm going to make this month. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's my, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. kind of my mindset yeah. is yeah. if you think you're going to fail – you're right. If you think you're going to succeed, you're right. Yeah. Wow. Which mindset are you going to bring? Yeah. I remember Dang. that quote. I think it was something forward. Yeah. 
Whether you think you can or you think you can, you're right. You're right. Oh, yeah. Right and I recently, you reminded me of this this picture I found. I posted on Facebook. It says, you have what it takes, but it's going to take everything you got. And you got to go in with that mindset of give it everything, everything to everything that you do. Yeah. I tell um, people I quit I like a 40 that. hour week job to do a 90 hour week job. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually when you pursue your passion, you're right, doing it. Yeah. yeah. You're it's constantly, all day. you're always yeah. working. Well, and, and really too, you know, having to go work for someone else is called stress. Having to do it for your, what you want is called passion. Yeah. And so I, I don't like, that. like, I don't stress over things anymore, but I just know like, Hey, this is what has to be done. Yeah. Um, we have actually hit a point in the company now where we've actually run out of instructors. So we actually have more jobs than we have staff stable. Wow. And so yesterday, as a matter of fact, um, one of our instructors, he had a family emergency and he was halfway to a two hour commute mm. um, to go do it. And mm. he called and I said, I got you. I'll be there. Wow. And I drove to Parlier yesterday morning. Wow. I wasn't planning on it <laughs> yeah. um, because it, you know, it is what it is. The ship has to keep going. Yeah. And do you often have to be on call for stuff like that? N- normally, knock on wood. No, I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So normally I'm, I am just, so it's just a kind of like a, a, just a random doesn't really happen. Yeah. Type of thing. I, I hope it doesn't happen again. Yeah. 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 But it was yeah. for a presentation, yeah. right? It was, yeah. it was for a three day class, but I only had to cover one day. See, yeah. so, but that's another thing too. Like you do get called in, but then at the end of the day, if you're like, helping yeah teaching mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome yeah that's awesome going into you know running for mayor i was gonna say president <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'm prophesying hey, i don't well, know no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> okay did you know a lot of the politics or did you kind of learn as you go and was it different than what you expected it to be so you know it's, it's funny you say that because i i didn't have any expectations Okay. You know, I basically just had a strategic plan and I said, I'm going to stick to my plan and, and push forward and you listen to everyone, hear what the concerns are, because at the end of the day, the mayor works for every citizen here voting or not. Right. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. if there's a common problem amongst the community, it's your problem as mayor. Mm. And I had to focus on that right. first. And then. You know, gaining support from people and, you know, and, you know, it wasn't a secret that everybody's like, we have no idea who you are. And I'm like, well, I was an undercover cop for five years. You shouldn't know who I am. Unless we met at work. So, you know, and so I, I know that, that I didn't have any sort of popularity or notoriety or any, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I didn't look at that as any sort of deficiency. Um, because it doesn't change who I am either way. You know? yeah. right. um, the other thing, too, is that I looked at it as as long as I'm putting service above self, it doesn't matter to me either way. Right. Mm. Um, and that's why, again, I didn't I didn't lose sleep about the election. Um, I just I gave it everything I had. And, you know, at the end of the day, the citizens voted for, for what they want. And so it's going to happen again this next election. I'm going to go all in 100 percent, 18 hours a day. And at the end of the day, they'll they'll get what they want again. Well. And I, I asked you a question before we started, and I said, is there anything you can't talk about? You said, I could talk about anything. So I'm just going to ask. All right. Is there anything that you see that you do not, I mean, there's probably a lot, that you do not like um, the way it's being ran, and what would you do differently to In the change city? it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. How much time do you guys have? <laughs> uh, top, so top I, am, I am big into transparency. Um, okay. in, in my own company, um, we don't tell our staff what to do. 
we tell them why it needs to be done. There we go. You give and them that's the, why. the culture that our city completely lacks. Mm. We are told to do a job. We're not told why that's an important job or why that's our role. Right. And then if there's any, you know, confusion, if there's any, you know, what a pushback, it's the employee's problem. And if you leave, so what? We wow. Leave. That's like basic, like retail. I learned that when I was 18 at Starbucks, 19 at Starbucks. It's called a what, what, why. Yes. Yeah. And if they're doing something wrong, you say what you did wrong, what needs to be done and why we do it. And you had this perky district manager say that with a big smile on their face, hopped up on coffee. And you're just yeah. like, I believe in what you're saying right now. It's a good <laughs> thing to do. And you'd go to the back, yeah. you'd praise in public, you coach in private. And in the coaching in private, you give the what, what, why. That was 19 year old in bed in my head. And Starbucks obviously did a good job because I still remember it. Yeah, for you sure. For sure. Well, and and honestly, that's a culture thing. Yeah. Um, you know, one one of the things in our city is, you know, I'll bring up our, our recently departed city manager. Um, I've, I've known Josh for a while. We met during my campaign and we had many conversations and I like Josh. I personally like Josh. I never worked with him. So I didn't have a chance to like evaluate his body of work. Okay. When I saw, uh, I was, I was out of the state at the time, but when I saw the video on YouTube of the packed house at city hall on July 6th of the people that were fighting for Josh, that made it very clear to me, right? What yeah. the people want, what they right. want. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that. If a community says, hey, listen, this is what we want, right, and and why, right, that's that's the highest priority, right? And, again, there are certain things, of course, you know, if the community is like, hey, we're going to completely defund the police and let people set their own houses on fire and that right. kind of thing. Then, well, yeah. Yeah, we draw a line, yes. right, at yeah. some point. Um, but if something is working or there's a change that happens, right, in the culture, the biggest problem is going to be the longtime people that say, we've never done it that way. We've always done it this way. Mm. Right. Or, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do. I've been here for 30 plus years. Oh, right? man. And that's where the challenges, right, right. take place. But somebody yeah. has to be held accountable. Yeah. Um, and so that's the way I look at it is, you know, there's, there's board members now, the city council members that are being held accountable, right, for the decisions that they made. And mm -hmm. so they have to answer to the public. Right. I told that to a guy at work one time because he was there for like 25 years and I, it was when I was like four years into the company and I can, I feel like I can speak up for myself a little more, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Get established, build relationships. Yeah. He's like, I've, I've done it this way all, all for 20 years. And I told him, I was like, you could bang in the nail with a wrench for 20 years, but if I show up with a hammer, my way's better. I almost said his name right now. And that's kind of the logic that I have. You know, if you're just, you can do something wrong for 20 years or you can do something that has like, um, your, your mentality and, and ideology peaked and you can't break through that and that's okay because when you pass a baton somebody else who's more creative more more uh, ambitious might push through that peak and then you grow even more you know i mean yeah. that's just that's just what it is there was also something that you said a couple of weeks ago um and it kind of applies he said that he was he was hammering a nail one time it was in a corner and he's right-handed, so it was kind of awkward. And there was a guy standing oh, a couple yeah. feet away, and he said, you got another hand, Fred. And that changed the way he thought, like, this is my way, but there's also other ways to do it. Not, not only... There's not one best way to do it. Not only there's another way, ways. it was another obvious way. Because I was in a right. corner holding a board with my knee, hammering it with my right hand because I'm right-handed. And this dude sees me struggle. I'm getting little tap, 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 not full <laughs> swings. And I'm in a corner, facing the corner with my right side of my body. And he looks at me and he's just like... 
He said in Spanish, he says, uh, Alfredo, ¿cuántos manos, manos tienes? How many hands do you have? And I'm like, hold up, I don't speak Spanish with all that stuff. And I was like, <laughs> he says, how many hands do you have? And I was like, what do you mean? He says, he says use your left hand in, in Spanish. And I'm just like, duh. You know? And, and that's kind of like... And sometimes it takes yeah. someone from the outside yeah. to, to, you know, make well, you see a I, different I perspective. I think, too, is... And, and again, I, it's it's, you know... Policy is created when people do something wrong, right? And so yeah. there's, there's, trial, oh, there's yeah. always trial by fire. Right. right? Yeah. But, you know, I look at, to me, like my definition of leadership is listen first, speak second. So if you don't listen to what's going on, if you don't actually hear the problem, you know, if you're like, well, this is what I want to hear, right? Or, right. hey, I have an idea in my head before you even explain the situation. It's mm. not going to get solved. It's not mm. going to go anywhere. That's biblical. You know, yeah. right? You know, right? quick to listen, slow to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And so having... You know, what I see that's going across the street at, you know, at City Hall and everything that's going on is it's just a compound interest of problems that is occurring mm. that the same negative culture keeps letting them occur. Right. So. So you have a plan to kind of. I do. Right. Well, I mean, he, he started a, a company for, with $340. <laughs> And now yeah. he's where he's yeah, at now. That's, so, I mean, that's really cool. something right happened there. Yeah. And I don't believe in luck. Uh, luck is when uh, um, preparation meets opportunity. That's that's what luck is, yeah. you know. So that you built it and you know what leadership is, you know what works. Um, and, and then to transition with leadership because we're youth leaders. And uh, closing up this podcast, I want to talk about um, you're a man, so we'll talk about the young men growing up. Okay, there's a, there's a, a meme that I saw with Mike, Mike Rowe, the dirty jobs guy. He says, we're churning out a generation of poorly educated people with no skill, no ambition, no guidance, and no realistic expectations of what it means to go to work. And this is a, I don't want to say fear, it's a concern of mine because we're youth leaders. I'm a youth leader, been doing it for, this is my fourth year. This is your second year? Second full year? And I want to be able to to make an impact on the young men. I don't like calling them young boys because I mean, they're, I mean, for a fifteen year old, what's that transition? They don't just wake up one day and, and they're a man. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so these young men, I want to do my best in the three hours a week with church and you know youth night, three yeah. four hours a week, to make an impact on them. And in, in your in your perspective, what 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 would be useful tools and a common knowledge that these young men should should know and do and learn to to have some integrity to to not end up like what he's saying, turning out a de- generation of poorly educated people with no skill, no ambition, no guidance, and no realistic expectations of what it means to work. How do we change this mindset? So you know, um, so I was raised by a single dad. I was okay. raised by a single father. My my dad was a Korean War vet. Okay. Um, and my you know my dad he worked in the, as a school custodian and bus driver for a very long time, and so mm-hmm. my dad worked like twelve hour days, five days a week. Right. Wow. And that was just yeah. that was just normal, right? Yeah. Um, and being you know growing up with a with a single father and being a military guy, right? So you're like, okay, this guy's loud and he can't cook very well. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, just potatoes. He yeah, knows right. Potatoes. Yeah. That's it. Um, but you know, one of the things that my father instilled in me, and he didn't even have to do it verbally, was work ethic. Mm. He'd get up every morning at five a.m. I wouldn't see him till six o'clock at night every yeah. single day you know and on the weekends he'd you know sign up for overtime what he could and that kind of thing wow, and yeah. it was just that nonverbal communication of this is what you do when you need to get stuff done 
right? Yeah. So you just do it, you know? Um, and, and the other thing that kind of my father instilled in me is uh, I tell everybody that my dad's indestructible, right? That's my, that's kind of my, my inside joke. And yeah. what I mean by that is my dad does not drink water. I mean that literally. The man does not consume what? water, right? And I was like, "How are you alive?" Um, oh that's, that's the running joke. He'll, he'll sweat drink, from my brow. He'll drink coffee and fruit punch and that kind of stuff. But the man, I've never seen the man drink a glass of water. Wow. So uh, he gets the water from as, the ice cubes. Yeah, something. Right? So as he got older, um, wow. he got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He got cancer. Okay. Oh, wow. And um, I was still working there as a police officer, and uh, I was working swing shift. And I would have to take him to his chemo appointments in Fresno. So I would jam over to Fresno. We do the two hours of chemo. I would jam back to work, right? Wow. Um, and get here. And it was kind of going through this whole process we did. And they told him, listen, this is, there's stage four. There's not a lot we can do about it. You know, we'll just, you know, that kind of thing. Well, my oldest, uh, you know, he's 24 now. He was younger. And my dad told my son, I'm going to watch you graduate from college. I'm going to watch you graduate. Wow. Right? And so... We were like, uh, okay, cool, Dad, right? <laughs> so he yeah. goes into full remission of lymphoma. Wow. wow. So stage my, four? <laughs> my oldest son is now in high school, and my dad gets liver cancer. And he's 77 oh years old. Oh, my gosh. And the doctors were like, hey, we have to take out your, your liver. Uh, or I'm sorry, kidney. It was kidney cancer. We have to take out part of your kidney. You're older, obviously, so this is a very high-risk surgery. And he tells my son, you know, what college have you picked out? Where are you going? (laughs) Right? I'm going to watch you graduate. And has surgery, and my son graduated from the University of California at Santa Barbara, and my dad watched it. (laughs) He was there. Did, did he ever say oh I survived God. the war? I can survive cancer. Did he ever say that? Please tell me, guys. No, no. He cracks me infantry jokes. Oh or whatever, my but, God! I mean that—that's just kind of the mindset. And like I grew up with. My dad is eighty. Today. I just left his house today. He's eighty-two. Wow! And, and still doing his thing. Oh my God! Um, I think we got the wrong Yanez on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah. I'm just joking. Wow! Um, I, bet that's awesome. I bet he's that's, got That's how some I grew up, right? So that stuff is not. I mean. I look back and I'm like, that's that's awesome, right? That that's what my dad. But that's again, these are these are things that I was taught. Just again, that's that's what happened. But yeah. with the, the kids today, I think the one thing that we don't have with kids and 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 society in general is just a lack of appreciation, right? Mm. Or how blessed we really are, yes, right? And how we take for granted. Oh yeah, things, right, absolutely. So on your worst day, whatever it is, you're having a bad day and you go home, right? If I told you both today, I'm going to give you each a million dollars today. You'll walk out the door with a million dollars. Right? Yeah. Would you be happy about I'd it? I'd be doing flips out out the door. <laughs> okay, right? You'd be, you'd, be, you'd be happy about oh, it, right? Yeah. Like, if I cut you both a check for a million dollars, they'd be On happy. TikTok today, I saw someone right. had a pet camel. That'd be the first thing I'd do. That, <laughs> that's your first purchase? <laughs> so first what, just if, what if I switched it up and said, you can have the million dollars, but you, neither one of you will wake up tomorrow? Would you take the money? Oh, no. Uh, no. Of course you wouldn't, no. right? Mm-hmm. So you know what that means? That means tomorrow when you wake up, it's worth more than a million dollars. Damn. So oh, hold on. We, these mics need to detach. So we need when, a mic drop right now. You know, or, or 10 million or 100 million, whatever yeah. it is, right. right? You wouldn't take the money if someone said you won't wake up tomorrow. Right. And I think that, I mean, that's kind of the philosophy I have because I'm so fortunate. Everything I do and everything I have and my kids and my family. So I wake up every morning with that attitude. Wow. Like, hey, I just, I'm good to go, right? And I think a lot of our society and our kids don't, 
they wake up like, oh, what do I have to do today? Or what am I going to get told to do today? Right? And not yeah. taking for granted, hey, God right. let you open your eyes this morning. Right? Get yeah, out of bed and right. do something with it. So I think it's do it really, right. Right. You know? Yeah. Make it worth it. Right. And tomorrow, if you're lucky, you get to do it again. You know, I've never heard that before. That's cool. That's good. Because because we're trying to set up a curriculum. We have uh, Jesse and Ruth Esquivel, who are the new. new Can new, we quote you on creators. that? We'll give you credit. I didn't come up with that, just so you know. So, um, yeah, because the curriculum good, for though. the youth. I mean, we're trying to figure it out. Me and Jesse, uh, her brother-in-law, we talk and we're just like, OK, you know, it's not necessarily the only way, the only verbiage that we know how to say is we've got to harden up these boys, but you really don't want to harden them because I look at it as a whole. I go, okay, we're here. This is, this is our society. This is the youth that we have and we're here. And, and this is a result of, of parents who, who were raised rugged, you know, generations, a couple yeah. generations after some wars, mm-hmm. you know, and this is kind of the result because there's no appreciation. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, we're just trying we're trying to figure it out. And yeah. so we, yeah. we've uh, put some stuff into the curriculum and we're going to try to add some useful tools and skills, try to get them to, like just to be critical thinkers. Yeah. Because yeah. We, we look at groups of kids. I'm not calling out our churches, groups of kids. I'm just saying we look at groups of kids. And I mean, there's poor posture. There's, yeah. I don't think you'd be able to rely on them to, I don't want to say change a tire. Uh, I'm just yeah. like hammer a nail into a piece of wood. So I, I actually listened to a podcast the other day and there was a doctor in there talking about posture with kids. Yeah. And he said, you know what that's from, right? Why the kids all roll their shoulders. Oh, looking down. They're looking down their phone. Yeah. All and so it's actually a you know, I never a thought of that. Thing that oh, they do this. Even right. while they're okay, even if you're laying down in bed, propped up with the pillow, you're postured up, looking like this. Yeah, it's all the strain in your wow. neck. Wow, yeah. isn't that yeah. crazy? I I think like too with the kids, um, and with any honestly any generation, but especially you know these kids, they're like sponges, right? They'll yeah, soak up yeah. stuff. You know, my any especially with my kids or any kids is if you start to motivate, educate, and inspire you're pushing them out the door with the tools they need. Yeah. Right? So you're saying, hey, look, I want you to be inspired. I'm going to give you some tools to do it. I'm going to motivate you to do it, but it's going to be up to you to keep the boat going in the right direction. Um, I think that's that's one tool that kids need, right? Especially now because they're getting so much education or, you know, inspiration from all the wrong things. Right. right? All the wrong avenues. It's whatever they can flip to or whatever their friends shared. Yeah. And I think I've noticed recently, ever since we started having that conversation, because it's it's been an ongoing conversation for a couple months, like maybe like two months. Um, But I realized that what I do as a mom, because I have a daughter, she's six, she's going to be seven, is that for a long time, I would do everything for her so that it could be easier. Sure. So I'm yeah, like, sure. it's, oh, yeah. and then sure. it, I just had an epiphany and I was like, I don't need to make life easier for her. I just need to give her the tools to be able to get past certain things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and before I was like, well, I didn't have this. I'm going to give it to her. Yeah. I didn't have this. so I'm going to give it to her. Yeah. And, and I don't want her to be sad. I don't want her to be upset. I don't want her. And that's most of the, t- most of the reasons why. I feel like for a while she couldn't cope with anything new because all she knew was mom takes care of everything. Dad takes care of everything. If she's upset, she'll have her iPad in her hands. Um, And there's no coping skills, no critical thinking, no nothing. And 
um, for for a period of time because before there there was something that changed because I was always pretty strict. I was always teaching her something, always doing something with her. And then there was a period of time. I think it happened pretty much where when I left her dad, and I knew she was struggling with it. So then I kind of just started giving her everything, just doing anything to make it easier. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like a lot of people do that. Oh, for sure. Where yeah. we just, like you said, yeah. your dad taught you. He showed you by example. Yeah, he didn't yeah, hand sure. you things. Right. He right. showed you how to work so that you can have the things you want. He didn't yeah. just give you the things that he you wanted. He didn't give you. He did because a lot of parents. And I'm not a parent. And I think it's easy. You've been easy, a parent figure. It's easy for me to speculate from the outside in, and sometimes that's the best perspective. Um, parents will <laughs> do their best to give their kid the life that they never had. Right. And it's like, homie, it's a disservice. Homie, sometimes. let them work for it because yeah. if if you if if they're just expecting everything to be given to them, they're not going to know how to work for it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's 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 not and a. They, uh, and we're we're breeding takers. Yeah. We're not we're not showing them how to give back. And we're only showing them how you know, to take. Honestly, think too. It doesn't necessarily have to do with kids, right? But. Um, kids or adults i mean how do you get stronger right you go to the gym you add more weight right yeah how many times have people prayed for strength and then god puts a bunch of weight on their shoulders yeah right because it's preparing you for (laughs) hey uh, how do i get stronger well i got to go through some tougher stuff and be able to get stronger and with kids it's it's no different my oldest son you know uh his mom and i uh i mean we we split up when he was like two um, and so he okay. grew up in, in two houses and that was absolutely normal. And we had a, a great routine that we did. Yeah. Um, but I did, I made a lot of mistakes as I had them when I was 19. Mm. And so, you know, I had a lot of, I did a lot of mistakes thinking, yeah, Oh, he, he wants this playhouse. Oh, right? yeah, he wants yeah, yeah. You'll do anything to give it for to sure. Him. And instead yeah. of saying, you know, you need to work for that. Right? right. Or you need to, you know, learn life skills. And my son, like I said, he, He's the first first one with our last name to ever graduate from the UC system. Wow. Yeah. So I tell people, my son's way smarter than I am. Right? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, also my That's son awesome. can't make fettuccine Alfredo. Right? <laughs> He's probably not He'll doing his own it. laundry right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's just certain things that, that, you know, I look back and I went, you know, I probably could have showed him more. Yeah. I probably could have yeah. given him more, more skills. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I really, I really truly believe that. And I actively try to make, I don't create issues for her purposefully, but if she's going through something and he kind of helps out sometimes, he's like, just let her, just let her, let her work through that. You know, yeah, you don't have to come. Let her be mad. You know, she's crying. Let her crying. She'll work through it. If she's not in danger or hurt right now, you know? Sorry. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you don't have to coddle her and it's like a little reminder because I made an agreement with myself that I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, one day she'll see her, she'll think of me and hopefully yeah. say the same thing that you said. How I, And I ask my kids too, like, hey, so, her. you know, they'll say, hey, I need to do this. How do you think you can do that? Mm, what, yeah. what do you think is the most efficient way to do that? Go ahead and show me. Well, that's and they're okay. like, oh, why did I ask you? <laughs> that's I, I talk about on podcasts all the time because yeah. something hit me the other day, like, the, not the other day, it was like four months ago, just a... For whatever reason, I looked it up. How many questions did Jesus answer in the Bible when it's only three? He was asked 307, I think. And he he asked 183 questions, somewhere around there. And he only answered three directly. And it's just like, duh. It's not to give you the information of what you want to hear. It's to, to give you the tools and say, here, what do you think? Get, get you to start you know, turning that hamster wheel in your head to f- try to figure things out for yourself. Because the experience is where the growth is, not in the knowledge given to you. Um we do have to close it up. I do want to say that yeah. if, and if she almost said president, 
Yanez. Yanez for Prez. for Prez has a ring to it. I'm just saying. Do you have a motto? Do do mayors when you run for mayor? Do you, do you have a theme song? Uh, we do not have a theme song. That, that should sounds, be a that thing. Cool. It doesn't do the. Oh Lord. Could you imagine? Do you do? Are you going to be doing like rallies and stuff like that? So are there things one of the things attend? that I will be doing, um, and I really look forward to it, is I want to help promote some of our smaller businesses in town. Oh yeah. Cool. And so like I plan to do some stuff. Um, I want to go to some barber shops and pay for everybody's haircut for a few hours. Oh, have people come talk cool. to me. Just tell me um, where you're going. Go to some events and 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 do that because I want to. You know, again, I don't want it to just be about the campaign and I'm trying to get people's votes. I want people to. I want to be able to listen to them, right? Yeah. Um, and promote small businesses at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Hot City Barbecue. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, We're all about small businesses. Paul, thank you for your time. Yes, thank you. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And for the listeners, uh, make sure that you go on Spotify and leave us a rating. Also yeah. on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Also, we created an Instagram Facebook or Instagram page with the What the Derf Show. I finally separated it from my actual person personal Instagram page. Yeah. So if you would follow that, it's the What the Derf Show Instagram. <clears throat> no underscores. Also, no anything. Register to vote. And when the, what is it called? What, election? Election comes. Make sure you vote for our, our new friend here. I think it's going to be good. I hope you win. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna I make a sign that win. says Yanez for press, Paul and I'll Giannis. just be that idiot in Los Banos. It's not Yanez. It's Paul Yanez. Yanez for press. Yanez. Yanez. All right. Bye.